You're listening to the Desperation Podcast. This message comes from our 2014 Desperation Conference, Jesus Reigns. For more information, visit us at desperationonline.com. This morning we're going to talk about the life of David, the man after God's own heart. That's what God called David even in his teen years, which is a remarkable thing that God would call a teenager the man after my own heart. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus, and we ask you for living understanding. Lord, we ask you that the Holy Spirit would move on hearts even now. And Holy Spirit, we ask you to do what you do best and what you enjoy most. You would take the things that belong to Jesus, you would give them to us. So Father, I ask you, release living understanding even now and mark hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to look at an episode in David's life. In his young life, it starts off the story of David in 1 Samuel in the Old Testament. He has about five years of remarkable favor when he's about approximately age 17 to 22. He's a national hero. Many things wonderful happen in his life in about that approximate five-year period of time. Then from about age 23 to 30, for about seven years, he has tremendous difficulty and tested. The favor that he enjoyed the first five years seems to have completely disappeared, and he has many troubles. And it's in that seven-year period of trouble, from about, again, age 23 to about 30, that's approximate, uh, David uh, compromises uh, several times in very significant ways. And, but David also has godly responses. Because what we would like to think of David is either, we like to think of someone in the Bible as totally right responses, or they're just messing up all the time, but neither of them are true. David has partly right responses and partly wrong responses. And then at about age 30, suddenly David's life has a complete reversal And the difficulty and the compromise and the tragedy suddenly changes and he becomes king in one day when he's about 30 years old. So five years of favor, seven years of trouble with compromise, with supernatural breakthroughs, but also difficulties and setbacks. Then suddenly he becomes king at age 30. But I want to show you a little bit about what David did and how he responded to God In the time of difficulty, in the time of compromise, and how he viewed God. Because the secret of David's life is the way he understood the personality of God. So I'm really taking the same subject from last night and just developing it a bit further. But in order to understand David's life, we need to understand the difference between stumbling in sin and our faith failing. It's a very, very important spiritual principle to understand the difference between you stumbling in sin and compromise, which is a temporary thing, and our faith failing, which is a long-term response of, that's negative. And the person who defined this the best, that distinguish between these two things is very important to understand these two, the difference between stumbling and failing. 
The person who said it best was Jesus. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 31, he tells all the apostles, we have here in the notes, paragraph 8, he said, this is the night before the crucifixion. You all know the story. He said, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. He's saying, in essence, you're going to all deny me tonight. And he defined stumbling a few moments later in Luke chapter 22 as denying the Lord that night. Let's look at Luke 22. And pay attention to the language that Jesus uses. It's very, very important. He's talking to the 12 apostles. He Then he really locks into Peter specifically, who is the leader of the 12. Peter's a young man, probably in his early 20s. That's, that's a guess. That's what many uh, suggest. Verse 31, he says, Peter, he goes, I got bad news for you. Luke chapter 22, verse 31. He says, Satan has asked for you. So Satan has gone to the Father and he said, I want to sift Peter like wheat. I mean, what a terrible resp- I mean, request. And Peter's looking at Jesus. He, Satan wants what? He wants to sift you as wheat tonight. And actually, the Father has granted Satan permission to do this. I can imagine Peter going, oh no, this is horrible. Now, to sift him as wheat means that he's going to expose Peter's weaknesses and Peter's frailty in his spiritual life. And the reason Satan wants to expose uh, Peter's frailty and weakness is so that Peter will quit. The reason Satan wants you to trip isn't just that you would be defiled. Of course, he wants us defiled in our compromise where our hearts are dull and our emotions get confused. But more than that, when Satan tempts us, he has a bigger agenda. He actually wants us to quit in utter despair over our failure. That's his goal. I mean, he wants you to have the defilement, but he wants more than that. He wants you to be so disgusted So angry at yourself, you just give up and give in and say, what's the use anyway? Now, I'm I'm only explaining this principle because David becomes one of the uh, best pictures in the Bible of a man who stumbled, but he did not quit. Well, look at verse 32. He says, Peter, I've prayed for you. He says, I've prayed for you. That your faith would not fail. He goes, you are going to stumble, but there's a bigger issue. I've prayed that your faith won't fail. Beloved, did you know you could stumble and compromise, but your faith not fail? Satan wants your faith to fail. And the difference, the difference is to stumble is a short-term compromise. Your faith failing is a long-term giving up and giving in. And that's always what Satan wants. That you would give up and give in. And Jesus tells Peter, I prayed for you. You are going to stumble. Even though I've prayed for you. But I know you're going to return to me. You're going to return to wholeheartedness. You're going to return to believing me. For the fullness of what I've promised you in your life. You're not going to give up and give in. You're going to return and you're going to be stronger. After your own weakness is exposed to your own heart. Paragraph B. Well, I only gave the principle 
so that we could understand David's, not the five years of favor when he was about 17 to 22. That was a, a great time of his life. But age 23 to 30, when he runs into compromise, and on the notes here, uh, which I won't mention each one, I mention and give the, the reference of five major compromises that David stumbles into compromise and sin in this period of difficulty from age about 23 to 30. But where I'm going with this is at the very end of this time of testing and turbulence and trial, he rose up. I mean, the whole seven years was not stumbling and compromise, but he had five episodes of stumbling in that seven-year period that's recorded in 1 Samuel. But when it became the worst, the very worst day in David's life, he was about 29 years old. He was in the city of Ziklag. Now, I realize that many of you, you've never heard of Ziklag. What is Ziklag? That's the city where David's failure was manifest. A great crisis happened in his life. But in the midst of the crisis and failure, David said, God, I know you. And I know what you're like. And David turned to the Lord with all of his heart and says, I'm going to believe you, God, for the fullness of your kindness and the fullness of breakthrough, the fullness of power. And within a short period of time of a few days, everything turned around and David's life was completely transformed in the period of a couple of days or a couple of weeks. I want to give you a little bit of that story. But really what I want you to do is make you hungry to understand the life of David. So you'll, after this session, and when you go back home, you'll read 1 Samuel, and you'll say, I want to understand the life of David. This is cool. This is pretty exciting. But the point I want to mention, that David was the man after God's own heart, because he knew what God was like. So in the time of his stumbling, and the time of his difficulty, which is not the same thing, when many things went wrong in circumstances, that's that's... A little different than his compromise. When everything he wanted was breaking. He lost his family. The enemy uh, nations came and took his family captive. His city was burned. All of his friends betrayed him. I mean, can you imagine losing your family, your house being burned, all your possessions burned, and all your best friends betray you all in one day? That's what happened to David and Ziklag. And it was related to his compromise. And David was in the most difficult hour in his life. But instead of giving up and giving in, David said, wait a second. Wait a second. Enough. I know who you are, God. You're the God of mercy. You're the God of kindness. You're the God that loves me. And I love you. I know who I am to you. And it says, David encouraged himself in the Lord. And he believed God's promises. He recommitted himself to the Lord. He claimed and declared the promises of God and everything reversed in a short period of time. Again, that's where this story is going. Well, it begins, and I'll just give you the briefest point of this uh, time of difficulty in David's life. And then you can read it more, you know, next week and the weeks to come when you go back home after the conference. Well, 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14 the Lord called David a man after God, a God's own heart through the mouth of Samuel the prophet. Samuel the prophet declares 
God has found this young man. Now, he's only about 17 years old when he's anointed. Nobody knows exactly how old. 16, 17, 18. Now, what does it mean to be a man or woman after God's own heart? Number one, David was committed to obey the commands of God's heart. He didn't always walk it out, but the commitment was real. And when he stumbled, he acknowledged it. He recommitted himself to the Lord. He cared about obeying God. He was a man that had a spirit of obedience. Though in his weakness, he did compromise on occasions. But when he compromised, he declared war against that compromise. And he repented and he said, God, I'm going to obey you. I'm not going to draw back and give up and give in. I'm going hard after you again. Number two, I mentioned last night, as a man after God's own heart, as a woman after God's own heart, he was a student of the emotions of God. He studied God's emotions. And this is the part about David that captures me in a, in a special way. I want to be like David. You want to be like David, many of you. I want to know what God feels like. I want to know what he's like in his personality. So when bad things happen or good things happen, or just because of I want to be a worshiper, I want to know who it is because the revelation of the truth of God's heart gives us confidence. Revelation of what God's really like causes us to be overflowing with gratitude and it makes us want to worship God. It makes us want to give ourselves to God. When I understand what God's like, I don't want to look for ways to get away with sin. I want to be fully abandoned to Him when I understand what He's like. So David was a student of God's emotions. But number three, David contended or you could use the word he would fight for, or, or he would reach to God in prayer, believing he contended for the full purpose of God for his generation. It wasn't just that he wanted to obey God. He wanted to find out what God was doing in his generation and throw himself into it 100%. A man of God once said, find out what God is doing in your generation and throw yourself into it with all of your strength. Well, God is raising up men and women after his own heart in this hour. I believe this is a David generation. That he's raising up 15-year-olds, 20-year-olds that have a commitment to obey. That have understanding of God's emotion and they have zeal. I mean, they won't be denied to contend for the full purpose of God in their generation. Look at paragraph C. This is one of my favorite verses. Remember, you get a hundred favorite verses. Jeremiah 3.15. I love this verse. It's a prophecy that's actually in context. When you read Jeremiah chapter 3 in context, which I'm not going to now, it's about the generation that the Lord returns. It's an end time prophecy. And here's what God says to the generation of which the Lord returns. He says, I will give you shepherds after my own heart, one translation says, who will feed the people on the knowledge of God. In other words, when the Bible says, I'm going to give you shepherds after my own heart, that's code, that's biblical code for, 
I'm going to raise up shepherds like David. Because shepherds after God's own heart or according to God's own heart means men and women with the heart of David. And here's what they're going to do. They're going to feed the people on the knowledge of God. What God's like. What God's doing. How to interact with God. And I believe in this room, and I'm going to pray for some of you at the end. That literally in this room, with 14-year-olds and 18-year-olds, God is raising up shepherds after his own heart, even now in this hour of history. And you will have the heart of David. That's why I think you want to study the life of David. I, I wrote a book on the life of David. I have it on my website, and it's for free. You can download it for free. Why I break down various things about David's life because I'm so committed to seeing young people be inspired by David and walk out their walk with God like David did. Well, let's go to Roman numeral chapter, I mean, Roman numeral two. The five years of favor are now over. I mean, I'm skipping that part. That's really exciting. 1 Samuel 16, 17, and 18. I mean, everything David touched seemed to turn to gold. He thought, man, this walking with God thing is really working. He was a national hero. He killed Goliath. He was the most popular man of God in the nation. He actually marries the king's daughter. I mean, could you imagine... He marries the president's daughter, the king's daughter. He moves into the White House, so to speak. He moves to the capital, which is Gibeah at that time. He's one of the commanders of the army in his early 20s. 21, 22, one of the top leaders of the army. National hero in the king's family, the royal family. David thought, man, life could not be better. But it was suddenly going to change overnight. Because his father-in-law, King Saul, I mean, he married his daughter. He's living in the royal court. His father-in-law who loved him, King Saul, became jealous of him. And the old jealous king turned on his young friend, on his own son-in-law. And he began to tell people, That young man is going to take over my kingdom. And so his father-in-law decided to kill him. This evil plan lodged in his heart. And the king of Israel, King Saul, he organized 3,000 soldiers with the sole purpose of killing David. Could you imagine 3,000 soldiers That have been set apart by the king of the nation with the sole purpose of killing you. We're not talking about 3,000 blogs. We're talking about 3,000 soldiers. I mean, if we get three blogs against us, we go, oh my gosh, the devil is against me. Everything is bad. David had 3,000 men after him to kill him. So you want to be a man after God's own heart like David. There will be testing. Not just favor. There will be times of testing. There will be seasons of favor, but there will be seasons of testing as well. Well, I want to be a man after God's own heart like David. Well, the father-in-law, King Saul, the king of Israel, became jealous of his young son-in-law. 
I mean, it happened overnight. And he hates his young son-in-law. He used to love David. They were great friends. He turns overnight on him. I mean, there's those times when the people in authority get a wrong uh, attitude and spirit and they start attacking you instead of blessing you like they did in previous seasons. That happens in the life of men and women of God. Well, the first compromise, King Saul's after David. So David runs, he flees as a fugitive of the state. He's now gone from a, a national hero to a fugitive, a criminal of the state. Because the king said, he's a criminal. He's treasonous. He's trying to take over my kingdom. Death to that young man. I mean, in one day, it changed overnight. National hero, now he's criminal fugitive. Very confusing for a young man, 22 or 23 years old. David flees out of the capital city of Gibeah, where his father-in-law lived, where the royal court was held. 1 Samuel 21, he flees to the city of Nob. Now, the city of Nob is where the main spiritual leadership of the nation lived. It's where the high priest, look at here in verse 1, the high priest Ahimelech. He's the number one priest in the nation, and they have the top spiritual leadership. David flees to the city, and when he comes into the city, the high priest said this question. He goes, David, look at verse 1, read it with me. He goes, why are you alone? I mean, you're a national hero. You're one of the leaders of the army. Surely you should have a royal army with you. This is really odd that you're traveling alone. Because the high priest had not received the news report yet that the national hero, David, is now a fugitive of the state. He's running from his father-in-law. So verse 2, instead of David telling the truth, Saying, well, my father-in-law woke up in a real bad mood, and I'm afraid, and I'm fleeing. He didn't say that. He goes, he lies. Compromise number one, David lies to the top leaders of the nation, the spiritual leaders. He says in verse two, he says, the king has ordered me on business. David, the king didn't order you on high-level business. You're lying, David. This is not the truth. You're afraid, and now you're telling lies to the spiritual leaders of your nation. He says, verse 3, Give me some food, and give me a weapon. Now, this is bad news. Because if the top spiritual leaders give a man accused of treason food and weapons... The king is going to be very mad, and that's exactly what happened. It ends up later in the story. I won't go into the details. Saul comes to that city and says, you gave him food and weapons? He goes, well, he's your son-in-law. He's the, one of the leaders of the army. What do you mean? And Saul was so angry, he killed the high priest. I mean, he took a sword and killed him. But it's worse than that. He killed 85 of the priests of that city. Slaughtered them because of David's lie. David, we know you're afraid, but your lie led to the death of 85 spiritual leaders in your nation. Well, let's get back to the story. Verse 9, the high priest tells David, he goes here, you can have the sword of Goliath. Now the sword of Goliath was like in the trophy case 
in the city of Nob, which was the main spiritual city where the spiritual leaders lived, the high priest. Now, you know the story of Goliath about five years earlier. When David was about 17 years old, Goliath challenged the nation. And David went with a slingshot and and killed him and became a national hero. And they took the sword of Goliath and they put it in the trophy case. It's the greatest day in Israel's history in a very long period of time. So the priest goes, David, remember that sword? Five years earlier when you killed the Philistine giant and became a national hero? He goes, here, you can take the sword of Goliath. So David takes the sword of Goliath and he flees and leaves the city of Nob. Well, he tells this big lie. Now the problem is, David's really in a mess. Because David leaves the city of Nob and he flees. This is insane. You can read it more in detail later. He flees to Gath. Now Gath is the city of the Philistines. But here's the worst part. The Philistines are the enemy. David says, here's what I'll do. I'll leave Israel. I'll go to the neighboring nation, the Philistines. And I'll go hide in the city of Gath. David, you're crazy. What are you doing that for? Gath is the city that Goliath grew up in. In the Bible, he's called Goliath of Gath. So David's running. He goes, Saul, my father-in-law, is too afraid of the Philistines. So I'll run to the Philistine camp. I'll go over here. I'll hide kind of incognito. Maybe none of the Philistines will recognize me. I'll just hang out there and lay low. David, you don't go to the city of Goliath with the sword of Goliath in your hand. Bad, David. Well, paragraph B. Second compromise. David fled that day. Verse 10 of 1 Samuel 21. He went to Achish, the king of Gath. Now, Achish was the king over Goliath. He runs into Achish's city, the city of Gath. He's trying to be incognito, I assume. Like, just kind of get a job over at the side and hopefully nobody recognizes him. So he thinks it's working. Verse 11. The servants of King Achish go, Achish. Jack kid, sword of Goliath, five years ago, he's the one who killed Goliath. Achish goes, no way. He goes, that's David. He goes, why would David come over here? We don't know. That's our biggest enemy, that young man. He killed our national hero, Goliath. He's got his sword. Verse 12, David goes, oh no. They figured out who I am. I'm not just kind of a vagabond traveler looking for a job at Starbucks in the city of Gath. They know who I am. Well, David, you got the sword of Goliath on your side. Beloved, when you get into fear, you do crazy things. So they go, the king goes, hey, kid, come here. They tell me you're David. He goes, David who? David of Israel, the national hero. And look at verse 13. David became, verse 12, he became very afraid. Because, oh no, they figured out my identity. Look at 13, this is crazy. He changed his behavior. He faked madness. He started scratching on the doors of the gate. Saliva coming down his face. His beard. I want to 
maybe have Corey Asbury come up and show you what it looked like. I'd like him to walk it out to be. He could do it for me. Corey, do that. I mean, he acted crazy. In Achish verse 14, the king said, David's lying. He's not insane. He's acting like a crazy man. In other words, David's denying the truth about who he is because he's afraid. This is lie number two. This is a serious lie. I don't want to go into the implications of it, but this is bad. So David escapes that situation. You can read it on your own. Paragraph C. Well, David's fleeing. He's still afraid. Now he goes from there to the city of Moab. Now, Moab is on the east side of Israel where Gath was on the west side of Israel. He goes, I better get out of Gath, but I don't want to stay in Israel because the king will kill me. So he goes to the neighboring nation over on the east side. So he's in Moab. And the prophet Gad, the prophet of Israel, he confronts David. He goes, David, thus says the Lord, Go back to Judah. Go back to Israel. Quit fleeing to the enemy nations because you're so afraid. If anybody should believe God, David, it's you. You should believe God. Go back in the land and believe God to protect you. David said, no, I'm too afraid. Because I know if I go to the enemy nations, the king won't chase me. And I think I could survive. And the prophet said, thus says the Lord, go back to Judah and quit running away in your fear. The Lord will protect you. David, you're denying so much about who you are. He goes, well, I'm really afraid right now. So he commands him to go back. That's a significant command. Because it's the very command of God, don't leave the nation again, which is implied in the command. Go back home and stay put. And trust God instead of trusting King Saul's fear of the Philistines. Because he said, hey, my father-in-law is too afraid to chase me to the Philistines. I'm trusting my enemy's fear instead of trusting the Lord. Well, some time passes. Paragraph D. David says in his heart, some months pass. We don't know how much time. David's in the land of Judah. He's running from cave to cave. His father-in-law with 3,000 soldiers is chasing him. He's 25, 26, 27 years old. He's going, despair comes over David. Did you know a man after God's own heart, a woman after God's own heart can yield to despair? But the good news, it was a temporary despair, not a permanent despair. Look at verse 1 of chapter 27. Again, 1 Samuel chapter 16 on is just the life of David. You want to read it over and over. It's, the most fan- it's a fantastic story of how God raises up a man or woman after his own heart. David said in his heart, verse 1. I know I'm going to die someday. It's just a matter of time. The king is going to catch me because he's running as a fugitive, hiding cave to cave. He goes, it's just a matter of time. The promises of God, they don't feel real right now. I can imagine the prophet next to David going, David, what do you mean the promises of God don't feel right? He goes, I don't know. I just can't feel them anymore. I'm going to die. 
David, this isn't you. Yes, it is. I mean, David had a little bit of emotional issues going on in his life. He goes, I know what I'll do. There's nothing better for me that I should escape back to the land of the Philistines. I'm going to go back to the city of Gath. I'm going to go back because my father-in-law will be too afraid to chase me. I'm going to try the city of Gath again. David, don't go back to Gath. They know who you are. He goes, I, I don't know. That sounds like a better plan. I mean, when you get into fear, you could come up with the craziest ideas of how to get out of your problems. So he goes back to Gath. The prophet Gad is going, David, thus says the Lord, don't leave Israel. I got to. I got to. My life is going to die. The promises don't feel real. Me and God aren't talking like we used to. I'm in a bad season. I'm going to disobey the prophetic word of the Lord. I mean, this was a serious word of the Lord. Go to Israel and the idea is to stay there. So David compromises again. I can picture the prophet. He's a young prophet about David's age. He goes with him. David has about 600 men with him. About 600 men from Israel who were kind of down and outers all came and joined David. It's quite a remarkable story. It says 600 men, they were in debt. They were depressed. They had lots of trouble and they found David and say, David, be our leader. So David, a depressed leader, has a congregation of 600 depressed men. That's not a church you want to join. Trust me. It started off 400 men, but it grew to 600. So he has 600 men in his church, all depressed, all in debt. David's their leader. So David has this terrible idea. I'm going to go to the land of the Philistines because I know King Saul, my father-in-law, he will give up seeking me. He will be too afraid to find me there. Top of page two. Beloved, I have good news for you. I have good news for you. Nobody can stop the will of God in your life. Nobody. Saul can't stop David in the will of God. Saul can harass David, but he can't stop David in the will of God. The Philistines... The enemy nation, the Philistines was the enemy nation right next door. They can't stop David in the will of God. The only person that can stop David is David. The only person that can stop you permanently in the will of God is you. You are immortal until the will of God is accomplished in your life. The devil can't kill you. Men can't stop you. The armies of the enemy nations can't stop you until you finish the will of God in your life. The only one that can stop you is you. And that's if you yield to fear. And you lose connection with the truth about who God is in your life. Paragraph E, top of page 2. So David, verse 2, chapter 27. He's got his church... Of 600 depressed men. I mean, what a church. Again, don't join that church. David says, here's where we're going. We're going back to Achish, king of Gath. David, Achish is Goliath's leader. Why are we going back to Goliath's hometown? I mean, he was the hometown hero. You killed him. He goes, I'm just going to. I think I can win Achish over. 
Because even when he let me go a few years ago, I could tell he liked me. David, let's not go to Gath. He goes, no, that's where we're going. Well, it seemed to work. Look at verse 4. King Saul was told, David went to Gath. So King said, okay, I'm going to let him go. It looked like David's plan worked, but it soon backfires. Verse 6. He finds favor with Achish. David was right. Achish did like David. And Achish and David became very dear friends. I mean, it's the oddest relationship. Here's the, one of the main enemies of the nation of Israel, Achish, the king of the Philistines in the city of Gath. And David, the anointed of Israel, called to kill the Philistines. They became buddies. I mean, what a bizarre alliance. You could get in all kinds of bizarre alliances when you flee in fear and leave the will of God. You get in all kinds of bizarre alliances. Well, Achish said, here's what I'll do. I'll give you the whole city of Gath. The whole, I mean, the city of Ziklag. The whole city's yours. David went, the whole city goes, it's my gift to you. You're like a spiritual son to me, David. I mean, they became fast friends. It's strange. So David lived there in the country of the Philistines in the city of Ziklag for 16 months. For a year and four months. He's 28 and 29 years old at this time. I could picture the prophet Gad all those 16 months saying, David, you're compromising. Go back to Judah and obey God and trust him. No, it's working. Prophet Gad, be quiet. It's working. I got a whole city. My men are happy. I'm in great friendship with the king. But he's the enemy of God. Well, that's a, that's a detail. I realize that. You're the anointed of Israel. I know, I know. But I'll figure that out some other day. Go back home, David. No, prophet Gad, I'm staying here. I'm too afraid to go home. Beloved, he stayed in his compromise for 16 months. But he's the man after God's own heart. He loves God. I mean, he actually loves God the whole time. He really does. He just can't work through the fear right now. So he's lied a number of times. He's he's disobeying the word of the Lord to go back to his nation and believe God in Israel instead of going to the enemy nation to seek refuge. Paragraph F, chapter 30. Everything goes bad in one day. The worst day of David's life. At least the worst day of his young life. He's about 29 years old, almost 30. Verse 8, chapter 27. David and his men were raiding the Amalekites. He's down there. He's raiding the Amalekites, which is the enemies of Israel and the enemies of the Philistines. And he's getting their cattle and he's getting their gold. Because in those days when you raided another nation, the nations were very little. They were more like little city-states. They're very little nations. David was raiding them and keeping all their cattle and all their gold and silver possessions and tools and weapons. Verse 10, Achish said, David, you got a lot more cattle than the last time when I visited you because the king would come down to Ziklag and visit David. He goes, where have you been on a raid today? David lies. He goes, oh, I was fighting Judah. I was fighting the Israelites. He goes, oh, You are so committed to me. You're fighting your former nation. David goes, yeah, I am loyal to you, Achish king of 
of Gath. I'm against Israel. Lie, lie, lie. He's totally lying right now. I can picture the prophet Gad. David, this is going to backfire on you. You can't disobey God and lie like this continually. You can read the rest of that story later. Roman number three. Now, chapter 30. This is the worst day of David's young life. Chapter 30. Look at verse 1. David and his men, they went up to visit the king, King Achish. They're coming back home. And as they come back home, the, Mal- the Amalekites, again, one of these little city-states that they, David had been raiding, they came for revenge. I mean, David has been killing them and taking all their possessions. So when David and his 600 men are visiting the king, left his little city of Ziklag unprotected, the Amalekites came in one night, and look what happened. This is the most horrible day. Verse 3. David and his men, they came back to the city of Ziklag after being with the king for a little while. And as looked over the horizon, there was this big pillar of smoke going up to the heavens, you know, to the sky. His men said, what's that big pillar of smoke? I mean, this is bad. That's where our city is. And when they came over the hill, they looked down. Oh no, our entire city, all of our houses were burned with fire. All of their houses were burned and all their possessions were burned. Well, it's worse than that. Their family members were taken as captives by the enemy Amalekites. Could you imagine in those days when they took the women and children as captives, they did brutal things to them. You can just imagine. If your family was taken captive, they would be slaves the rest of their life and treated brutally. So David's city is burned. And his family and all 600 men, their families are now slaves for life taken by the the Amalekites. Well, he thought they would be slaves for life. I mean, well, it's worse. Verse 4. The 600 men who are with David, they weep. They have no more power to weep. These men are weeping night and day for a day or two or whatever. They weep so much they can't even weep anymore. Verse 6, David was greatly distressed. Would you say that's an understatement? He was greatly distressed. This is the worst day of his life. His city's burned, not only his house, all of his friends. Not only his family, their families. Now look what they do. The 600 men that David's been leading, they said, they got together in a group and said, let's kill David. They had a little committee meeting and decided to kill David. So David, we are so mad at you. We trusted your leadership. We told you not to go to Gath. Why are we even over here in Ziklag anyway, David? They all turn on David. So now his city's burned. His house is burned. All of his money's taken. His family is slaves. And his 600 close friends, they, not that he was close with all of them, they betray him and wanted to kill him. How much worse of a day could a young 29-year-old man have? They said, let's kill him. They were very grieved at David. They were very, very mad at David. Paragraph B. David was greatly distressed. But look what he does. I mean, against all odds. I mean, he's been in compromise for 16 months. He didn't belong over in Ziklag. He's been disobeying the word of the Lord. 
He's been lying to the king like he lied to the high priest, like he told other lies to other people. I mean, this is the David. This is our guy. This is our main guy, David, our old main guy, Old Testament, whatever. One of the top guys. I read this. I go, David, man, you were pretty messed up, actually. I like you, but you're pretty messed up. Look what David does against all odds. He strengthens himself in the Lord. He gets alone because the 600 men are going to kill him. He goes alone and he says, God, strengthen himself in God. He remembers the truth about God. He goes, God, I know you. I know you will be kind to me if I repent. He remembers the promises. God, you promised me so many things. And I know you will forgive me. And when he strengthened himself in God, he goes, I'm not going to give up and give in. Yes, I've stumbled, but my faith is not going to fail. I'm going to rise up and be who I really am in my heart. I am a lover of God who struggles with sin. I'm not a sinner who's just struggling to love God. At the core of my being, I'm a lover of God. That's who I am. That's what I do. And he rose up and said, I'm going to believe your promises. I'm going to believe your mercy. And I'm going to go to full obedience after you right now. And I'm pushing delete. And it's you and me, God, fully reconnected like in the days of old. And the amazing thing is God says yes. Beloved, God will take you on those terms that very day. He says, yes, David, I will be merciful. Yes, the promises are real. Yes, I will forgive you. Yes, I will restore everything to you in the will of God. Verse 18. David rose up and went after his family to chase them. I mean, the enemy army who had them. And he found the Amalekites. He killed them all, freed his family, got all of his possessions back. All of his family returned. The 600 men loved David. Everything reversed in one day. But more than that, the very same day, in a battle up north, King Saul is in a battle and he gets killed. So David's number one enemy gets killed the very day when David repents. And he recovers his family. Everything turned in one day. He went from a state criminal, a fugitive of the state, in compromise with his family in captivity, his friends betraying him, all of his possessions gone, the king chasing him, everything reversed, and he became king a few weeks later. I mean, talking about a reversal. Paragraph C. It's the next five minutes or so. Here's the most important part. Paragraph C and D, this is what I want to leave you with. I told you the long story because I like the story, actually. I love this story. And I wanted you to kind of be captured by the drama of David's life. But the important part is what David understood about God and how he responded to God. That's the important part of this story. Psalm 18. Now, if you read Psalm 18... It tells you this is what happened on the day when King Saul died, which is the same day that David recovered all in the city of Ziklag. It's that great day when everything reversed. He wrote the song, Psalm 18. Here's what he says. Verse 1. He starts off. I love you, God. You are my strength. I can imagine the 600 men going, you love God? 
That's why you did this? David, you've been compromising 16 months. Don't tell us you love God. He goes, I do. My love is weak, but my love is real, and God believes I love him. I can imagine the men around him going, we didn't see you so awesome and loving God. You were a liar and a conniver quite a bit here, David. That's an interesting retelling of the story. David goes, no, my love was weak, but my love's real. And I engage myself fully. I love you, God. That's why I return to you. And I know that you love me. But look what it says later. Verse 19. I mean, Psalm 18 is marvelous. I can picture the newspaper reporter interviewing David. David says, God brought me to a broad place. I would say so. I mean, he recovered his family. He recovered his possession. His 600 men love him now. The king, Saul, dies. His number one enemy. He becomes king overnight. David said, God brought me to a broad place. That seems like a little bit of an understatement. A broad place. David, the most radical reversal in a man's life that you could imagine. He goes, yes, it was a broad place. I had a big blessing is what that means. When God brings you to a broad place, that means I have a big blessing that God just gave me. That's what that means. But here's the part I like. So the newspaper reporter in my imagination says, Why did God deliver you suddenly? I mean, what did you do that made God deliver you? And David said, He delivered me after my compromise and my lies, after I repented, because He likes me. That's why He delivered me. He delights in me. When everybody was against me and they were going to stone me and my family was captives, my city was burning, Saul was against me, I got alone with God and I said, wait a second, why am I living this way? You like me. Why am I living in fear? I am not going to allow my stumbling to turn into my faith failing. He goes, you like me, God. What am I doing? That's how he strengthened himself in God. God delights in me. Look at verse 35. He goes on to say, now he talks directly to the Lord. He said, Lord, here's what I love about you. Your gentleness has made me great. He goes, yes, I'm the king. He became king immediately after this. He goes, it's because you dealt with me with such gentleness. He goes, you could have wiped me out and never ever had to apologize for it. But your gentle dealings with me is why my heart is recovered. Beloved, when I get in a tough time, whether it's my possessions or my family or a difficulty, or whether it's my compromise, I stop and I go, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. This isn't who I am. I'm a lover of God. This is what I do. I love you, God. I know it doesn't look like it, but I do. You like me. You delight in me. And you treat me so gentle. I'm yours. I'm fully committed. Let's go full blast now, starting today. And the Lord will just say, let's push the lead on it and start from scratch. Right now, fresh encounter with your heart in the heart of God. Two more minutes. I'm going to pray for you. Psalm 56 is written at the same time. You read Psalm 56 and in the inscription it says, Psalm 56 was written when David was, was with Achish, king of Gath, in compromise. Is the idea. 
He knows he's in compromise. He's not supposed to be in Gath. He's supposed to be back in Israel. He's lying to Achish the whole time. He's lying to his own heart. That's not the will of God for him. Look what he writes. Verse 8. He says, God, you number my wanderings. He goes, you know I am compromising right now. I know that you know. When he said my wanderings, it meant my compromises. You know I belong in Israel and I need to stop lying and I need to quit compromising. You know it. I know that you know that I know that you know. Then he says, Lord, would you put my tears in your bottle? I know that you do. He says, God, I know that you value my tears. David was over in Gath. I mean, day after day in his private prayer time, he was crying. I love you, God. I'm not supposed to be here. I know I'm telling lies. My life is out of control. I love you. I don't know how to make this right. And he said, when he wrote this song, he goes, God, when my tears of repentance and my tears of sorrow for my compromise were falling down, you put your bottle underneath my tears and you captured every tear I shed because my tears of sorrow were precious to you. You didn't write me off. You valued the pain I was in, even in my compromise. He says, did you not even write them in your book? You will remember the struggle I went through. I don't mean remember it with anger. You remembered that I really loved you and this was my struggle. You actually wrote it in your book because it's that important to you that I was genuine with you even when I was stuck. And I end with this, verse 9. He goes, when I cried to you, then my enemies will turn back. He goes, I know it was a matter of time. Here, look, I love it. This I know. Because God is for me. David, you're in the city of Gath, lying and compromising. You're singing songs. God is for me. He will cause me to triumph. Yeah, I probably, he wouldn't sing them to his 600 men. They would have laughed at him. But in private, he goes, this I know. You are for me. I know what you're like. And I know who you are. Amen and amen. Let's stand. Some of you are in Ziklag right now in your spiritual life. You're in compromise, but you love God. The people around you don't believe it, but God sees it. Your tears are shed in private. Beloved, I got good news for you. He's capturing them in his bottle. He's not mocking you. He says, I'm on your side. And you can declare, I know you're for me. I know this is going to turn around. I don't know when. I don't know how. I know it will turn around. I know it will turn around because you delight in me. I know you will be gentle towards me because that's who you are and what you're like. And I know that I love you, though my love is so weak and so frail. Let's talk to the Lord all across the room. We're just going to take 60 seconds and pray for you. Then we're going to take a break and we're going to come back for the next session. But before we do that, all over the room, some of you are in Ziklag right now. Just, I'm going to invite you to close your eyes just for, just for 60 seconds so you're not distracted. Talk to the Lord and say, Lord, maybe I'm not in Ziklag now, but I've been there before. I've been in a, in a city of compromise, a season of compromise. Here's my confession, Lord. I love you. Here's my confession. You, delight, you delighted me. Here's my confession. You will be gentle towards me. Here's my confession. My tears are in your bottle. Here's my confession. 
I know my enemies will be triumphed over. Here's my confession. This I know because I know you're for me. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. And I break the spirit of accusation and condemnation and lies so that your temporary stumbling will not turn into a long-term failing of your faith. Amen and amen.